Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Ujvala Radio, a show dedicated to love and passion, and the power they have to transform our lives. Now, find a comfortable place to sit, relax, and enjoy the show. And now, here's Terry and Robin. everybody. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good wherever in the world you are. This is Reverend Terry Power and you are listening to Ujvala Radio on the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. And I'm joined tonight as all good nights. uh, In fact, about every night uh, for the most part uh, by my amazing, beautiful, talented, wonderful, caring, uh, forgiving, (laughs) Uh, amazing wife. Hi, Robin. <laughs> Don't oversell me, okay? <laughs> Hi, honey. <laughs> I love you. You're funny. I love you too. And the people at YV, I love you too. So, you know, you're, you know, you've got a fan club going on there. So it's all good. Uh, I don't know about that, but okay. If you think so, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. So tonight, a couple of exciting things. Uh, first of all, I'm uh, giving an opportunity that tonight is an open night. Uh, we've had some questions emailed in. Uh, we've got a couple of questions in the chat room. And uh, we're just going to have an open question and answer session. Uh, you know, call in at 646-564-9714. And ask us uh, your question, no topic necessarily, uh, about uh, Ayurveda, nutrition, yoga, meditation. Uh, and, and yoga, again, is not just, uh, you know, asana. It is, you know, really, you know, the eight limbs. So, you know, it starts off with, um, starts off with a, a way to live and then moves all the way through to meditation and uh, a, a degree of enlightenment. So, uh, so understand that you know, call in and ask any questions about any of that. Uh, Robin's ready to talk with you about Ayurveda, nutrition, cooking, and mm-hmm. so again, that number is six four six five six four nine seven one four. So, with all of that said, though, 
uh, tonight we are announcing uh, we're launching a special workshop uh, that will be held live on November 15th, and it is a holiday survival guide workshop. I mean, we're coming into the holidays. Winter is coming, and so are the relatives. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, all of the stresses, and of course, you know, today and all of the stresses that will go on with the conversation about the outcome of today and elections and all of that, uh, you know, conversations about religion and spirituality. There's a, a ton of ways that there can be stress with visitors for the holidays. Uh so we're going to oh, be you're talking... talking about the big stuff. I, I always think about the small stuff, like, you know, Grandma doesn't like the way I made my stuffing because I put raisins in it, and it's going to be a big drama on Thanksgiving. You, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes me crazy. <laughs> well, who puts raisins in their stuffing? I anyway, that's... <laughs> anyway, so you, you see there's a, you know, a potential point of contention. You know, mm-hmm. all of these, the big stresses, the little stresses the financial stresses, everything that goes with the next month and a half is all about stress. There's beauty Mm -hmm. and there's wonder and there's joy and there's happiness and then there's everything else that comes with it. So this workshop uh, will be helping you to navigate through all of that. Uh, We're going to have uh, recipes. Uh, we're going to have some conversations about nutrition. We're going to have some conversations about meditation. I'm going to be giving you a special uh, meditation geared toward helping you deal with the stress. It'll be a guided meditation. You can listen to as many times during the day for the next you know, month and a half or even beyond. You know, If you've got uh, a lot of stresses in your life, it will not be specifically geared toward the holidays. It will be specifically geared toward helping you reduce stress. So that will be uh, one of the things that will be provided to anyone that signs up for the program. And we're also working on a special holiday edition, uh, holiday collection of some of Robin's cooking videos. And you will get a discount on that package if you sign up for this workshop. So uh, the workshop itself is going to be $29.99. And you can go to, uh, you can find the event on Facebook. On our Facebook page, we'll be sending out a big uh, Facebook announcement and blast tomorrow. Uh, but you can go ahead and pre, um, you know, beat the beat the crowd because uh, we only have eh, about 80 spaces, so you don't want to miss out. Uh, you can go straight to ujvalaayc.com. And that's U-J-J-V-A-L-A-A-Y-C dot com. And at the top of the page on the the tabs, you will see Holiday Survival Guide Workshop. Click on that. It'll take you through the process of signing up, uh, uh, checking out, you know, paying and checking out and doing all the stuff. And then you'll get a welcome letter and access to the page that has the link. It'll be a Zoom meeting. We're going to have breakout groups so we can have little, you know, individual discussions and talk amongst ourselves. So it's going to be a fun, uh, fun couple of hours. And well, yeah, uh, we're also going to talk about 
We're also going to talk about the financial stresses that face people going into the holidays and how best to cope with that and make your budget dollars stretch and still be able to feed people good, nutritious, healthy food. Um, I know some people don't think of the holidays as being a time to eat healthy, but all the more reason to do it when you're feeling, you know, under the gun, stressful. And and also there are a lot of things um, that are very reasonably, uh, you know, that you can stretch that are very reasonable that you can put into your budget over this this holiday season, over the winter. Yeah, and most of the foods that are traditional for the holidays are not necessarily bad for you. It's mm-hmm. you know it, a quantities, you know if you're if you're keeping a you know if you're keeping an eye on your quantities and not being a glutton, then mm-hmm. really the the holiday eating isn't necessarily bad for you. But Robin's going to teach you a couple of methods for tweaking it to make it even a little more, um, you know a little more you know good for the body. So all of that, yep. all of that in a two-hour workshop live with with Robin and myself, and uh, all of that again for uh, twenty nine ninety nine. So go to the website and uh, sign up now. Uh, don't miss your chance because when space runs out, I don't know if we'll be able to run this again with our schedule through the holidays. So uh, so go ahead and and get in on this one. And get your uh, discount for the uh, holiday collection of cooking videos and also uh, your free guided meditation to help you reduce stress through the holidays. So, uh, with that said, I did last week, when we were talking about meditation, I suggested that people try a simple looking at a lamp or candle uh, preferably a lamp flame because it doesn't flicker as much, but any kind of flame, and just relax and set ideas, you know, set thoughts aside, and just focus on the flame. And I was hoping that we might get a few people to call in and talk about their experiences. Uh, we don't have anyone right now, uh, but if you get a chance, if you did the homework, then you can call in again six four six. Five six four nine seven one four, and we'll be taking calls right up until about uh, ten minutes from the top of the hour. So, uh, one of the questions that we got emailed to us—that reminds me—you can also email questions. We're going to run a a fairly regular uh, question and answer session. So, if you've got questions about Ayurveda, nutrition, meditation, yoga, any of that, including asana, you can email info, I-N-F-O, at ujvalaayc.com, U-J-J-V-A-L-A-A-Y-C.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Ujvala Ayurveda and Yoga Center. Uh, so, and you can private message uh, either one of us from there. So uh, our first question today uh, comes out of Florida. Um, I'm not going to name any names. We'll just we'll just say it came from Florida. But the question is, what is Ayurvedic nutrition, and how is it different from Ayurveda as a whole? And I'm guessing Robin's going to answer this. It's going to be some portion of <laughs> Ayurveda as uh, is the nutrition. 
Right. Ayurvedic nutrition really just talks about, um, you know, how to eat best eat for your dosha, how to uh, avoid poor food combinations. Um, and, and there are there are some classic really uh, problematic food combinations that we do in the West all the time. You know, I, one that comes right off the top of my head is cheese and eggs. Everybody loves cheese in their omelet. Um, Ayurveda talks about well, yeah. the difficulty of of digesting those two things together. So those are that's sort of you know part, the nutrition part of Ayurveda. Plus, you know, they talk about the spices that you should be eating for your health and which foods are particularly good at what time of the year. Um, so, so in the summer, you are drawn more to eating salads, for example, and in the winter, you're, you're drawn more to eating soups. And there's a reason for that. And, it's, you know, it's all cued in your body by what you need and what, what the nutrition is that your body's looking for. And that's, that's sort of in a nutshell, very quick and easy um, answer to that question as to what is Ayurvedic nutrition. Ayurvedic nutrition is, of course, part of the whole Ayurvedic system, medical system. Ayurveda is a uh, holistic, whole body, whole mind, whole spirit uh, system, and it takes into account every aspect of you, that you have your physical body, you have your subtle body, you have the body of your mind. You, you know, there are, there are, I think there are seven different bodies. So, um, so nutrition is just one part of that whole that Ayurveda that Ayurveda does to your to your individual uh, person. Every individual is different, and so your Ayurvedic nutrition might be slightly different than somebody else's Ayurvedic nutrition. Um, what's the saying okay. in Ayurveda is that one person. Uh, poison is another person's cure. Um, so that's, and that just reflects that everybody's different and uh, you have to find your Ayurvedic, what, what Ayurvedic foods are best for you. And that's, that's why you need Ayurvedic practitioner. That's part of what we do uh, is to guide you in that direction. And then how okay. best to, you know, maintain your health with, with food because food is medicine. It was the first medicine and it will be our last medicine. Everything should be treated with food first. 80% of all disease, all disease in the United States could be exercise modifications, lifestyle modifications. That's an amazing statistic. This is why Ayurvedic practitioners are so needed right now. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and treating the whole body versus treating the disease. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, seeking wellness versus disease management. Uh, absolutely. A, you know, Western medicine, for all of its advances, uh, spends all of its time treating, um, you know, treating disease. Mm -hmm. It's not built around wellness. It's not built around staying healthy. The whole system is designed to have unhealthy people, and if the if people stayed healthy, the system would collapse under well, the weight of its own thing. specializations. Western medicine is treating disease and doesn't think at all about how to prevent disease. 
um, you know, that's really what it's been. We treat the symptoms. You, once you're sick, we're going to treat your symptoms. Uh, we're not going to worry about curing you, you know, for a lot of these things. We're just going to treat your symptoms. Here's a pill, you know, it'll fix your symptoms. I might give you oh, other, a side other side effects. Right, but we'll treat your symptoms of the issue that you're having. Ayurveda looks at how do we keep you from getting sick? Preventative. Let's avoid the sickness. And if you are sick, what can we do to gently nudge your body back to wellness? Rather than giving you some very harsh medications. Right. Well, the body will heal itself if if everything is aligned, if the if if it's being mm-hmm. given the right food and nutrients and the mind yep. and the spirit are all aligned mm-hmm. then the body will take care of itself remarkably well yep. it's an incredible an incredible vessel that we're given to carry through each incarnation and mm-hmm. uh all we've got to do is just take care of it a little bit and keep our mind and our and our um spirit aligned with our body and mm-hmm. it'll carry us for a whole lot longer than than you know previously thought. Yep. You know, you can look at some of these places. I mean, I I traveled to India a couple of times in the last few years, and there's some very healthy, very old people that mm-hmm. uh, some of them would put me to shame for their um, stamina and vigor and flexibility and. You know, these people are into their, you know, late 80s and 90s, still active and vital. And uh, that doesn't come from Western medicine. That comes from a lifestyle that treats the whole body and approaches the whole body as wellness, not seeking to treat disease and waiting until something breaks. Now, certainly Western medicine has its... Western medicine does have its place, you know, don't get me wrong. If you break oh, if I break something, an arm, that's where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when Robin was in her accident and her arm was shattered, uh, an amazing surgeon basically mm-hmm. reconstructed her arm, and she's got, you know, 95% use of, of her hand and wrist, yeah. where, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they would have taken her arm off at the shoulder, at the um, at the Elbow, elbow. Just yep. We can't do anything with this. So, so there's there's some remarkable stuff when it comes to structural problems. But you know, if we can uh, if we can avoid all the medical stuff, then then we can do a whole lot to uh, increase not just our age, our life expectancy, but our quality Happiness. of life quality of life expectancy. Yeah. You know, stretching that quality of life into the 80s and 90s is something that, you know, most people wouldn't think possible. And yet I see uh, people in the villages in India living that that long and that well. So mm-hmm. these guys have got something going on and that's what we're trying to uh learn about and share here in the West. Yeah, most uh, Ayurvedic practitioners here in the United States work in concert with people's physicians. But you need to have a physician who's open to the concept. And fortunately, more and more physicians are getting on that page. 
they are butting their heads up against exactly what I was talking about. The ideology somewhere in our culture became excess. Excess is good. More food, more uh, eating out, more, you know, drinking, uh, drink better wine, you know, eat, 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 drink, 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 eat, eat, eat. You know, in India, it's, there's, a, there's a word for people who have three meals a day. And if you translate the word from Sanskrit, um, the word, their definition is loser. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like a, a harsh concept to us because we all eat three meals a day here in the West. It's considered normal. It's, it's considered the, the healthy thing to do. Um, and that, that, that's probably not the way our physiology was developed. Uh, we were probably meant to eat more like, you know, one big meal a day, have something light and nutritious in the morning to wake up and something light in the evening uh, when we, when we, you know, we're done and uh, eat the bulk of our food once in the day. And then the other two things wouldn't be full meals. They would be more like snacks. Um, right. A lot of time, a lot of times people we, when, during hunting, hunter gatherer period, you know, you'd have a day where you'd eat well and you'd have probably three days after that where you might not eat very well at all because, depended on what was in season, what was available, um, you know, were the hunters able to get something or were you just going to be eating nuts and berries and, and seeds that the uh, grains that the, uh, you know, the, the gatherers would gather. So, right. you know, we were not ever programmed to eat the meat-heavy diet that we're eating. That We were never programmed to eat the excess amount of portion of food that we are eating in the West and it's showing in our diets. It's why so many Americans and, and Westerners in general are overweight, are suffering from diabetes, uh, heart disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. These are all things that are treated through diet. Uh, and Ayurvedic nutrition has known this for 5,000 years and it's tried and true. Uh, okay. If, I, I've, said this, I've said this before that if you look at India right now, they are getting away from their traditional Ayurvedic diet and becoming a more westernized diet, and they are having an explosion in India of diabetes. Number one country in the world uh, for diabetes. Something like I think one in you know under a certain age is, ha- is coming down with diabetes now in India. Wow. It's just a rant there. So that's what that's why Ayurvedic nutrition is so important. All right. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, we've got a few more questions. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, the next question kind of follows along. Um, it it uh, They ask, how can I find out what my dosha is? And, ah. and then what do I do with that information when I have it? Now I'm going to, I'm going to lead off if I may with, okay, uh, we will very soon have a dosha quiz on our website. Uh, there's a couple of technical difficulties, but it's, it, it is in the works, and we'll hopefully, before the workshop on the 15th, we'll have that dosha quiz up and running. So um, what are other ways that someone can get their dosha uh, information? I guess we could send them the quiz, and they could fill it out and email it back. Yeah, they could. We could absolutely do that. Uh, that's actually a really good way. If you're interested in getting a quiz, 
from us, send us an email at um, what, what, what email address do you want them to, to use? In, info. Info. Or, info. Yeah, info, mm-hmm, I-N-F-O at Ujvala.com. Uh, Ujvala, A-Y-C dot com. Yep. And um, just say, you know, Dosha Quiz Request, and you'll get actually one quiz, which you will need to print out twice, and take the quiz, and then um, send it. You know, you can scan it back, or you can just, you know, copy copy it into an email twice and take it twice. And the first time you take the quiz, you're going to take it with, um, how was I? Answer the questions as to how you were when you were young, as young as you can remember. And then you're going to take the quiz, and you're going to answer the same questions um, for how you are right now. Not last week, not next week, but how you are right this minute when you're taking the quiz. And then you're going to send us back the results. And then I will, I will email you back um, with some information about your results and how to uh, proceed. Um, and, but, in okay. general, but in general, knowing your dosha is important because exactly what we were talking about was the nutrition. Certain doshas have certain predominances of certain elements, and the elements being air, earth, water, fire, and ether. Uh, and did I say earth? I think I did. Yes. Um, and so everybody's bodies are made up of these elements. And in what proportion is how the doshas come out? Uh, so, for example, some people have more of a fire element uh, some people have more of a water element. Some people have more of the air element. And your dosha will correspond to that. And then that goes to what types of foods are best for you to eat to balance those doshas and their, and their uh, uh, you know, so if you have too much fire, eat foods that are really hot and spicy because it'll, it'll you know, on a regular basis. It, because right. it, well, that, it may affect fire. Well, I mean, that brings up our... Um our morning uh, drink, our morning, you know, you have ginger and lemon mm-hmm. and then, and, and that, you know, uh, that little tea made with ginger and lemon, you make mine with right. ginger and lime because yes. the, the lemon is warm and adds to uh, the fire element that I have a, a preponder, preponderance of. Yes. Whereas the lime is cooling. So something as yes. subtle as um whether you put lemon in your in your tea or lime in your tea could make mm-hmm. a big difference in your uh day-to-day wellness. Yes. Because remember this isn't just about fixing something. This is day-to-day wellness. Mm-hmm. And if I can add cooling to my diet, then that helps counteract some of the extra fire where someone else might need the warming counteract say the water and earth of um, uh, what's called kapha Mm -hmm. and so I mean that's just one example of you know something so subtle uh, that you wouldn't even think about it in the west I didn't think about it you know Robin shared Uh that with me because she started seeing the effect that the lemon every day was having on my um, on my wellness and switched me over to the lime and it made a huge difference. So um, 
I'm sure Robin will tell you a whole lot more, but I just wanted to share that one thing that's, that's, you know, personal to us and uh, that Mm -hmm. we noticed something so simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, so, so the doshas, you know, they sort of help you to know what things to eat. And as Terry said, you know, something as simple as replacing lemon with lime can make a huge difference in your, uh, how, how you feel every day. And once you know your dosha, you can make those kinds of choices and, and actually document if you're, if you're the journaler type, um, exactly how you feel. And I usually recommend people do it for at least a couple of weeks to feel some of the changes and be aware because it sounds silly. Oh, you know, eating lime instead of lemon, uh, it will make a change, but it really, really does help. Uh, and there are so many other little food combination things that, um, are for your specific dosha that are going to make you feel better. So if you're interested and you need to find out what your dosha is, you certainly can email us, uh, as we said, info at ujvalaayc.com. Yay. And, uh, I'll get back to you. Yeah. All right. So what other questions do we have? Do you have any over there? Uh, let's see. I did have oh, – I had written some down that had come in. Hang on. Here we go. Um, the next one actually is probably going to be, um, Terry, I'm looking at this. It says, how long should I meditate and what position is best to meditate in? Like how to sit, I guess is what they mean. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a very broad topic and it's probably a whole show. Uh, yeah. but, but the, the long and short of it. Uh, see how long should I meditate? How the long is short anyway. So, how long should you meditate? Well, that's going to depend on a lot of factors. First of all, nobody expects you to sit down and begin meditating and meditate for an hour or even thirty minutes. Let's face it: in the West, we are trained to uh, be constantly stimulated, to be constantly thinking to be constantly in touch with every random thought that goes through our minds. And typically we're taught to, uh, you know, blog them or Facebook them or whatever, you know, Instagram them or whatever method of expressing ourselves we have at our fingertips. And that's often to our detriment, frankly, because sometimes if you, you know, cool off before you, you know, tweet something, you're probably going to be healthier and happier. But meditation takes practice and you know i talked at the at the top of the show about the homework assignment i gave last week and i'm going to repeat that um take a simple uh candle or i prefer an oil lamp that really looks like a small bowl with a um you know, a pinch pot really kind of thing with a little um spout pinched into it Put oil in that and a cotton wick and let the, the cotton wick lay into the little, um, what looks like a pouring spout. I'll be honest with you. If you go to 
um, the craft store or the garden center, and they have these little three-inch terracotta uh, plates that go under a terracotta pot. You can get the smallest one of those, put some oil in it, and pull a wick up, and it gives you a very steady flame. Use like olive oil or um, you can get in some places, if you've got an Indian grocery near you, you can get mustard oil, which is a great oil for burning. It's also a great oil for, um, you know, self-care and, you know, dinacharya, which is another topic. But, um, you know, that's an external use. It's typically less expensive because it's not going to be consumed. So, but find an oil that will burn. Or you can even use, you know, you know, just vegetable oil. But something to put in it and a little cotton wick, it will give you the most amazing steady flame. It won't flicker nearly as much as a, a paraffin candle will. And look at that candle, look at that lamp, that, that flame, and relax. You know, blink when you need to. This isn't an exercise in staring down the candle. Blink when you need to, but focus on the flame. When a thought comes in, just you know, treat it like your child while you're doing something important. Say, I'll get to you in just a minute. I see you. It's okay. I'll get to you in just a minute. Every thought that comes in, don't wrestle with it. Don't fight it. Just acknowledge it. Say, yes, I need to think about dinner. I'll think about that in a minute. Yes, I know I need to get the kids after school. I'll deal with that in a minute. And whatever thought comes in, just set it aside and work on focusing on nothing but that flame. If you can do that the first time for five minutes, then you're already well on your way. Most people, myself included, when I started doing this, you know, a decade or so ago, uh, probably longer, we'll not talk about how long, but um, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I, I couldn't sit for five minutes and look at a candle or a flame. Now I can, depending on what's going on around me, and I mean, it's going to change day by day. I can go, you know, 20, 30 minutes before I get distracted. Um, if I had a, a little more, you know, quiet space, then, you know, I might could go longer. The point is the time you'd spend doing it isn't the length of time isn't as important as the quality of it. If you can spend 15 minutes a day sitting and meditating, and that's just one technique. Um, there's a variety of techniques. We'll, we could talk about, uh, we did a show last week on meditation and I could do another probably two hours, but you know, pick one technique, something simple like that to get you started and if you have any more, if you want to uh, work with me on other techniques, again, you can email us, info at ujvalaayc.com, and uh, we'll get with you and uh, work out some kind of uh, uh, practice uh, that we can work on together. Now, as for position, position is, it's interesting in the um, uh in the uh, Yoga Sutras, Patanjali talks about basically sit down, shut up, and listen. And 
he mentions asana once. Mm. And and he basically says, sit down, cross your legs, get comfortable, and meditate. And you know, you're starting, it's a comfortable position to breathe, some position where you can sit comfortably for 20, 30 minutes without having to move, without your body becoming uncomfortable, because that's the biggest distraction, kids. But if my back is starting to hurt or my buttocks are starting to hurt, that's going to break my concentration quicker than any of the other distractions. So mm-hmm. any position where you can sit comfortably for 20 minutes to start, that's a good position. Uh, I like to uh, sit on the floor on a pillow. Uh, simple cross my legs. I'm not even going to try uh, with my knees and the, the number of poles I've climbed in my life to try to twist my legs up into the lotus position. Maybe one day I'll get there, but right now I just sit simple, cross my legs, sit with the, the lamp at the uh, you know level with my shoulders and my eyes um, so that I can just sit and comfortably look at the, at the light. And it could be, you know, a, a statue, you know, if you're particularly into a particular deity, certainly look at that statue instead of the flame. Whatever it is, it's just a focal point. But uh, you know, any position, if you if you've got a you know, if you have problems sitting on the floor like that, lean against the wall. Sit in a straight back chair. Something you can lean back and straighten your back, pull your shoulders back, but sit upright then that is certainly a good position and you can use the chair or the wall to support you. Um, You know, asana practice will certainly help you strengthen those back muscles in your core so that you can sit comfortably. And honestly, most of yoga, when people are talking about asana practice, asana is designed to strengthen the body to a point where you can sit comfortably for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and meditate. Mm-hmm. You know, asana was originally designed specifically to prepare the body to sit quietly for your meditation practice. Believe it or not, in the West, we've taken asana to a a level. You know, Robin was talking earlier about how in the West we take everything to excess, mm-hmm. and asana is one of those things that we've taken and we've we've taken that one part of the eight limbs and we've run with it and built it into a whole industry when it was intended to be a small portion of an overall practice of yoga geared toward meditation and enlightenment. So, uh, you know, Eastern concepts versus Western concepts are um, interesting play. Uh, So I hope that answers the question to a certain degree. If you have any questions about this further, again, email uh, info at ujvalaayc.com. And we can uh, we can get together and explore this further. Uh, what's next? Uh, the next question I know probably uh, I think we've talked a little bit about this before in the year, but I think there's so much confusion about this topic that I think it bears repeating. Uh, the next question is, what is karma, and how <laughs> does it affect me? <laughs> okay. 
uh, Eastern versus Western concepts of karma. All right. In, uh, in Western spiritual thought, people have taken that word, karma, and applied it to some version of the rule of threes. What you do returns mm-hmm. to you in, in three times. So it, it, it presupposes that the universe has this cosmic tote board and uh, that the universe actually cares if you do something that you're going to get paid back for it. And that's, you know, I, I've always struggled with that idea and I've never applied the word karma to it. I, I, I have known, you know, I, may, I, I minored in Asian studies at university, so, and now we'll really not talk about how long ago that was. But I have known <laughs> most of my adult life that karma was not the way we use it in the, in the West. Um, so what is karma to Eastern thinking, to its truest um, meaning, going back to the Sanskrit? Karma is attachment. Let that sink in for a second. Karma is attachment. If you desire something, then you become attached to it. Even something good, like I love my wife. I love my wife desperately. It is possible for that love, that attachment, to become so strong that in the next incarnation, I am forced to return to seek that feeling again, to seek that love again. That attachment would keep me in the cycle of reincarnation, the cycle of rebirth. The idea of, of, of karma and working toward removing karma because any karma is attachment. Any attachment could, could bring you back. So um, the idea of releasing attachment means to have a, a, healthy, you know, a healthy love, but understanding that that is, is temporal in this incarnation. And to enjoy that relationship and to nurture that relationship, but not to grasp it so hard that it causes you to be stuck in a cycle of rebirth. I mean, it could be something as simple as I love chocolate milkshakes. I love donuts. I love, you know, whatever, but it can also be bad things. More often people think about the bad things that you do this and then it's got an attachment you know, with it. There's a, you know, guilt attached to that action, which then becomes a cycle of thinking and attachment. Um, if we're really attached to the outcome of a, of a charity that we do and we want to get some recognition for it, there's an attachment there. We didn't do it simply because it was the right thing to do and let go of the outcome. Uh, very often we do these things and we want our name in the paper or we want to be recognized in some way. That wanting is attachment. So the releasing of desire is the, um, uh, the idea of removing or letting go of karma. Now, 
Some philosophers suggest that karma follows us from one incarnation to the next, and that may be true, but that is a past attachment that we that forced us into the cycle of rebirth. And so that past attachment could cause us to reincarnate and have to do this again, but the goal of each incarnation in Eastern thinking is to remove attachments. That's particularly hard for a householder, someone who's not a renunciate. You know, because you've got, you know, you've got real life. And, and that goes back to the how long should I meditate question as well. You know, as, as a husband and a father, I have responsibilities. I have dharma. And that's another word that's, that's misconstrued. And misused in the West. Dharma is not your life goal or your life purpose. Dharma is the rules attached to the roles that you assume. As a husband, I have certain responsibilities to my wife. As a father, I have certain responsibilities to my children. As a teacher, I have certain responsibilities to my students. That's Dharma. Those responsibilities have to be met, or I'm living out of sync with the universe. So how much time should you spend meditating? Well, certainly no more than you can afford and still get your responsibilities taken care of. So um, all of these questions are way bigger than one show, uh, certainly bigger than the time I have tonight. But uh, we can certainly uh, look at having uh, additional conversations about this, and I look forward to additional questions. And uh, let's see. We're at a quarter from the top of the hour. We have time for one more question. Okay. The last question that I have on my list, I don't know about what you have on your list, um, how do I align my day? Oh, how do I align my day-to-day life with the principles of the niyamas and the yamas. Oh, wow. That's another four or five shows. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's see if I can do that in just about uh, six or seven minutes because I want to wrap up and uh, not run over tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the yamas and the niyamas. Uh, earlier I mentioned that asana is one of the eight limbs of Ashtanga Yoga. And the first limb and the second limb are the Yamas and the Niyamas. And Patanjali, when he wrote the Yoga Sutras, developed a system when you gain enlightenment. Understand, that's all the Yoga Sutras is supposed to do. It's supposed to help you obtain enlightenment. So he believed and he wrote that the first step was to start regulating our behaviors. How about that? A Eastern idea of the thou shalt not. Um, Thou shalt not commit violence. That includes violence against yourself. 
pause for a moment and think about how many times you say you're inside your head bad things about yourself. Well, that violates ahimsa. You have committed a violence against yourself. How many times do you complain about the other drivers? How many times do you complain about the other people in line? Those are all examples, subtle, but they are examples of, of, of violating ahimsa, which is nonviolence. A violent thought is still violence. It still affects you. It may not affect the other person. The other person may be completely blissfully unaware that you're whining and bitching about their driving. <laughs> but it affects you. When you start regulating yourself, you begin to move toward a state where you can attain meditation and enlightenment. Uh, the yamas. So I've already mentioned ahimsa, which is nonviolence. Uh, satya, which is non-lying, is essentially what it means. You know, telling the truth. Frankly, it's easier to remember. Um, Asteya. Ashteya is not stealing. These are all pretty simple rules for living in a polite society. Um, this one's a little more complicated. It's called brahmacharya, and it means non-excess. I'll come back to that one in a minute. Um, and then aparagraha, which is non-possessiveness, non-greed, non-hoarding. How much in the West do we spend time collecting stuff? I want more stuff. If I get more stuff, I'll be happy. If I just get that one more car or that one more statue or that one more, you know, whatever, bonus, and is it the, the pool in my backyard and whatever it is, and we hoard and we, we keep it to ourselves. We're like smog sitting on our pile of gold. Huh. So true. And that violates a paragraha. We should not be hoarding. We should be letting, you know, keep enough to live comfortably, certainly. Take care of your responsibilities. Again, dharma is the rule. Dharma is the first rule. So if you've got responsibilities as a, a mother, a father, a Oh, there's actually responsibilities, dharma, responsibilities of a child to a parent. Um, all of these, you know, maintain dharma. Do what you need to do to take care of your family, certainly. But beyond that, hoarding is wrong. Paragraha is not hoarding. So returning to brahmacharya, non-excess. Now here we go coming into the holidays. Returning to our topic at the beginning of the show and our uh, our workshop and stresses at the holidays, you know, how to eat right at the holidays, all of it's about non-excess. If you can, if you can maintain brahmacharya through the holidays, you will feel better on the other side of it. Now, often brahmacharya is interpreted as celibacy. And that is a misnomer. In my opinion, celibacy violates your dharmic responsibilities to your partner. 
your relationship, physical relationship within healthy bounds is certainly part of brahmacharya because brahmacharya means basically walk with God. So keeping things within healthy bounds, again, not excess. Oh, here we go. Um, is certainly part of brahmacharya, but the absolute renunciation of physical pleasure is not part of the dharma of a healthy relationship. So understand that dharma is the first rule, and then all of this has to fit within it. Now, if you're a renunciate and you wander off into the forest and you, you know, stay under a tree for three days and have to move again so you're not attached to that tree, then certainly then, you know, celibacy would become a, a, a factor. But as a householder, someone living in the world, Dharma requires certain, um, you know, certain responsibilities, physical responsibilities to our partner. So brahmacharya is not celibacy in the traditional sense. And let's see, I'm going to hit the, the niyamas, which are personal practices. These are the, the, you know, the thou shoulds, essentially. Uh, Satya is purity. So we should seek purity, cleanliness of our bodies, cleanliness of our minds, cleanliness of our souls. Um, and again, the Ayurvedic nutrition comes into play because that will help us align our body, our mind, and our spirit. Uh, Santosha, again, we're seeking to release attachment and desire. You know, what's the line from Harry Potter about the, health, the, the happiest man in the world uh, wants everything he has and doesn't want anything more? So, you know, that's, um, that is Santosha. Tapas is self-discipline. And it's not like, you know, you know restrictions but it's more about training your senses and practicing. It's about doing your practice on a regular basis. So if you're going to meditate, meditate, meditate every day, try to do it at the same time, try to get better at it. That's tapas. It's actually doing it. Svajahaya. That one's a tough word. I'm studying Sanskrit and that one still struggles with me. Um, Self-study, inner exploration, Uh, that's where you start really becoming self-aware. And I mentioned earlier, think about what your thoughts are. Note your thoughts. That's part of Svadhyaya, Svadhyaya, I'll get it in a minute. Um, And then lastly, Ishvara Pranadana is surrender, giving yourself to the divine, giving yourself to the process, releasing uh, attachment to the outcome. Do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because you want a certain outcome. So that's a nutshell. Uh, as you can see, there's you know tons of, of discussion. I could probably do a show on each of the yamas and niyamas and still have room left to talk because everybody's going to interpret it differently. It's not my job to tell you how to interpret it, just to help guide you and let you start making your own decisions. So uh, what is it I used to say? I don't have your answers. 
people would ask me about what's the answer to such and such, and I say I don't have your answers. I have my yeah, answer. Exactly. I've got a lot of opinions, and I'll share those. But ultimately, you have to find your answers. So uh, with that said, uh, I want to thank the question writers. These were some great questions and uh, some definite conversation starters. Uh, things to talk about. Again, if you're interested in asking a question, and the next time we do a question and answer, we'll, we'll get your question on the air. Or if you are interested in pursuing these conversations more deeply, uh, whether it's uh, questions for me or questions for Robin, email info at Oh, excuse me. I'm so oh, sorry. Um, info at ujvalaayc.com. U-J-J-V-A-L-A-A-Y-C.com. And we will certainly get back to you and uh, we can discuss these topics in greater detail and perhaps work out some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, practice together. So uh, with that said, I do want to remind everybody that on the 15th, we're having our uh, holiday survival guide workshop. Go to the website ujvalaayc.com and in the very center at the top of the tabs is the survival you know holiday survival guide workshop link click on that it'll take you to a page explaining the whole uh, the whole workshop and it'll give you a link there to sign up and that will take you into the payment system and it's 29.99 uh, small price uh, for all you're going to get uh, cooking with Robin, some uh, recipes, uh, a guided meditation by me, some meditation techniques to discuss, uh, as well as just stress relief ideas and discussion, a couple of breakout sessions that we'll do, and all of that for $29.99. So you don't want to miss out. Space will be limited. Um, and... Uh, also want to make sure that you get a chance to sign up for the Inspire program. Uh, Inspire program is Robin's free program, uh, helping uh, people to get together and uh, talk about their goals. And I'll let you talk a little bit about it, Robin. Uh, yeah, well, in, in the Inspire group, we all have our own different wellness goals, whether it's to lose weight uh, we have somebody who's quitting smoking, um, you know, stop uh, uh, being so sedentary and get up and get moving. Whatever the wellness goal is, some of the wellness goals also include people who are struggling with depression and anxiety, particularly right now. Um, so we, we talk about things. We talk about tips on how to overcome, you know, some of the issues and how to move forward in a, as, as a supportive way possible. Um, we talk about specifics. We have recipes. We talk about um, <coughs> excuse me, things like how to keep a better mental balance and how to avoid uh, pitfalls and difficult situations and how to deal with them. It's basically um, a bunch of people who get together and talk about their challenges and their successes and we support each other, which is really um, a hard thing to find these days. 
if you think about it. Uh, so, and it's free. We, we, we don't charge anything for it. It's every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Zoom meeting. Uh, and if you're interested, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're interested in joining us, all you need to do is send an email to that info at ujvalaayc.com, and you will get the uh, get a, a welcome letter. Uh, you also can go and join the Inspired Group on our website at the ujvalaayc.com. Uh, so either way, uh, you can you, know, you can find we can you can find the Inspired Group. It's pretty easy to join. Yeah, on the website, if you look at the tabs across the top, um, second from the right is offerings. Uh, mouse over that, and you'll get a drop down, and it'll say Inspire. And click on that, and it'll take you through the sign-up process. It's a free program. Uh, the idea is to support each other and to uh, uh, you know, share. So uh, with all of that said, we are at the top of the hour. And uh, we try to get out of here by 10 o'clock so the people on the East Coast can get to sleep when they're supposed to. Uh, Ayurvedically speaking, they should be in bed by 9 or sleep by 10, unless it's Tuesday night when you're listening to us. So uh, with all of that, I want to thank everyone. Thank our question writers one more time. Uh, Thank all of our listeners. Thank my beautiful wife. (laughs) And Thank you, Don. Wish everyone a week filled with love and with wonder. Good night, namaste, and blessed be. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, All manifestations of the divine are equally valid.